our sermon series through the book of Ephesians called, what's it called? Transformation. Took you a minute there. We've been doing this for like nine but weeks. I didn't see. I didn't All right, look. That's okay. Um, and we're, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and this is the second to last week. Next week, we're going to be done. And then we got Easter Sunday, and I'm excited because I have something that the Lord's laid on my heart for a new sermon series that we'll announce in the weeks to come. But we've been walking through this book, seeing how Paul instructed the believers to understand that we, through the power of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, have been given the ability to experience the transformational work of that very power that radically transforms everything about us as human beings. Our thinking, our relationships, our community, our beliefs about who the Lord is. And here specifically today, we're going to have some fun talking about being married. Can I get an amen in this place from all my married couples? So... Listen, today the title of the sermon that we're going to be talking about is this, Positional Responsibility. That's a fun one, Positional Responsibility. Now, uh, Eve and I were just talking about some uh, fun ways that we can help illustrate this message before we get into the scriptures, and uh, I thought a really fun way would be to discuss cleaning the house. Oh, come on. Cleaning the house, you are not ready for this. So let me tell you about what it's like for Evie and I living together as a family when it comes to cleaning the house. Let's take laundry. How many of you like laundry? Wow, two, two hands. All right, I, I got Linda and I got Curtis. All right, the rest of you are honest. Good for you. Oh, I think, I, no, James is just, he's just sh- yawning and stretching in the back. He doesn't like laundry. Oh, laundry, Evie. Tell, tell them about our deal with laundry. This deal came up before we were even married. Yep. <laughs> before I knew how many shirts we went through in a day. Yep. <laughs> I said, if you promise to take out the trash, mm-hmm. I will fold them every time. I also like to do it a specific way because mm-hmm. I want it to fit in the drawer. She makes fun of the way that I fold socks. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> Who says there's a right way to fold socks? <laughs> um. But I fold, I fold the laundry. Uh, he has the muscles, so he'll bring it down and up the stairs because I can't do that. Which is a compromise because that is a part of the laundry process. You're right. You're right. Let's be real about that. <laughs> so I do more than my fair share. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I will do the laundry. Then, like, uh, some other things that Evie is not capable of doing, but she has fully just abdicated the responsibility to me for is car maintenance. So changing the oil, okay. working on brakes. Uh, if she's got an issue, i got to do go and do that. Not to put her on the spot, but she was like, my car's running funny. So I was like, let's check the oil. There's nothing in the dipstick. I'm like, woman! Um, and then I said, that's your responsibility. Yeah, she did. That's fair. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. I mean, okay. Um talk about bills but i don't want to with how harsh this congregation is uh let's go you know we talk about garbage all right let's go to the last one bugs any of you any of you have delineated responsibilities when it comes to exterminating bugs i'm talking about when you see a spider the size of your face on the wall who goes and kills it all right i do it can i tell you i'm terrified of bugs but i still gotta do it that is love, okay? I'm a baby when it comes to bugs. I scream louder than she does if I get snuck up by one. 
So, so listen, th- those are just some fun illustrations within this context of just caring for the house. But I think what's really important based on what we just talked about is this is not a one person job. This is not something that it's just my responsibility or it's just her responsibility. This is something that we as a husband and wife have decided to tackle together because ultimately we realize the end goal is healthy living, better living, that we both are striving towards, that each one of us have now stopped and said, okay, you might be better at this or you might be more willing to handle this while the other one is better equipped or better willing to handle some other things. And we've delineated those responsibilities. So really, when we talk about what Paul's going to get into into Ephesians today is this idea of positional responsibility. Now, I want to, in regards to the discussion of marriage, read for you something fun. This is Time Magazine. You didn't think I was going to read this on stage in this church, did you? Well, I am. Evie and I were in ShopRite like at least three or four years ago, something like that. And we saw this and we were just really interested because I said, hmm. I wonder what the church cares about when it comes, uh, not the church, I wonder what the world cares about when it comes to this aspect, this discussion of marriage. So let me just read for you about two quotes in the introduction. Um, These are quotes that come from secular professionals within this field of sociological study. People who have observed human trends and patterns specifically as it pertains to marriage. Okay, number one, Northwest University psychology professor Eli Finkel announced that marriage is currently both the most as well as the least satisfying the institution has ever been in America. It's the most satisfying for some and the least satisfying for some. Specifically, here's what he says. Americans today have elevated their expectations of marriage and can in fact achieve an unprecedentedly high level of marital quality. He writes, but only if they invest a lot of effort. And if they can't, their marriage will be more disappointing to them than the humdrum marriage was supposed to be in prior generations because they've been promised so much more. One more quote by another professional says this, couples who have made it all the way later into life have found it to be a peak experience, marriage. A sublime experience to be together. This is a quote by Carl Philomer at Cornell University who did an intensive study of 700 older couples in research for his book, 30 Lessons for Living. He goes on and he says this, every single one of these older married couples 100% of them, out of these 700, 100% of them said at one point that the long marriage was the best thing in their lives that they've ever experienced. But all of them also either said that marriage is hard, he then adds, or they said that it's really, really hard. So based on research that we see in Time Magazine, here's some things that we can see. From a, listen, secular, not Christian, from a secular, sociological, invasive academic study, it is concluded that healthy marriages have positive effects on child rearing, raising your kids up, economic well-being, 
physical and mental health, habits and commitment, secular studies are in agreement that marriage can be an incredible thing. In fact, it's something that gives levels of intimacy and benefits for raising children, for lifelong happiness, but at the same time is really, really hard. So if that's the case, it's also interesting, listen, how in spite of all of this secular research that talks about how good marriage is, marriage has since been placed on a chopping block in America as something that we need to get rid of. It's been described as this Euro-American white hegemonistic Christian institution. All of those are used with a bad connotation. It's just a white institution. It's a Christian institution. It's a traditional institution. And in fact, it's hurting us as a society. It's hurting our interrelationships with each other because when you're unmarried, you can have open relationships. You can get to know more people. You can experience a better sexual intimacy with people because of the abundance of people that you get to be around with. So marriage ultimately, okay, the research does say that from even secular academia, academia that it's really good for us, but no, no, I don't want that. Isn't that interesting? And, and mind you, everything that I just told you was secular research. None of that was from a Christian perspective at all. So, Evie, this is obviously something that's really important because we're about to read it from Scripture. Why is it so important? Um, it is important because God values it. God, this is one of the first institutions that he put together. You know, he saw that man was not good alone, and so he gave him Eve. Um, he's, marriage is highly valued by God, and we see that even in, in the description of the church and Christ and how the church is called his bride. Um, we also see it in the union of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is an unbreakable unity and it's supposed to, our marriage is supposed to be a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so today we're going to look at scripture and we're going to see how God purposed a husband and a wife to act and to uh, fulfill their marital roles. Um, but before we jump into that, we have three things that we want to make very clear. <laughs> uh, the first one is that if you are experiencing abuse in your marriage or in your relationship, this might be a little bit of a touchy, touchy topic for you. And we want you to know that this is a safe place, that you can certainly talk to us, that um, if you want to reach out to us via email, if that's the safest way for you, uh, info at gladtidingsaog.org. You'll get somebody to get back to you right away. You don't mm-hmm. need to wait past the church to Pastor Justin, um, and we will get you help. Mm-hmm. Or if there's any other way that we can help you, just let us know. Um, secondly, it is really, really, really important to understand that what we're talking about today is with regard to gender roles within marriage, within the context of marriage. So what we're reading is not an excuse for anybody or any sex to just uh, lord over the other one. This is talking about marriage. Husband and wife. Husband and wife. Um, And this, again, this is not like, we know that these scriptures have been used in the past in order for one sex to dominate over another one. That's not what it's for. (laughs) And that's not what we're going to promote here. Um, And then lastly, if you are currently single. Single. Single, single, single guys. 
open up because either you will find yourself in the future where you will need this or you'll find yourself you will find that God has given you the gift of singleness but you can still use this to speak into others lives so listen this you should if you're single here today look at this as premarital counseling 101 this is really good for you if you want to have a healthy long lasting viable godly relationship listen up all right um, and then, yeah, like my wife said, discipleship material. Yeah, discipleship material. If you uh, find yourself in the future, you need to speak into other people's lives. Yeah. Good. Yep. Okay, so let's get into it. Yes, sir. Brother Kelvin. Brother Kelvin. She's going to have a conversation with you Thank afterwards. You She's going to have a conversation with you afterwards. <laughs> that, that is important. It is. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. This is where Pastor Chase concluded his message last week. And it's also the springboard for where we're going for today's message. So when we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, so there's that word right there. Be subject to one another. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves is really, what does it mean to be subject? Does it mean that I allow somebody to just rule over me, to domineer me? No. Let's look to scripture, to another writing of Paul the Apostle in the book of Philippians and how he describes this. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So here's the first point that I want to make to you. Submission is love in action. Pastor Chase talked about that last week. We can really look at love as the willfulness to sacrifice. So submission is really making that love a reality, that sacrificial nature. It is the willful sacrifice by placing someone else's needs before your own. Simply put, as Paul said. Now, what's really interesting here is that Paul said to one another. So right here, before we even get to the whole next section where Paul gives specific groups and how they ought to submit to each other, he says, everyone, without discrimination, to gender, to age, to race, to, to sports team's preferences we are all called to submit to one another and without getting too much into it to steal my wife's thunder when she goes into this it's ultimately because christ has given us the example of submission and and we're going to see that in the next few moments so now that we understand that paul says all are called to submit everybody at any point in time needs to be like christ and to submit or to subject themselves to each other, here is specifically where we're now going to transition into the next few verses of Ephesians. Um, there are three groups that are mentioned here specifically by Paul. Wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. For the sake of time, we cannot talk about the latter two groups. We are going to talk about them on Facebook Live at 8 a.m. for our Digging Deeper 
discussions that we do every single Tuesday if you go to our Glad Tidings page. They're important and they need to be discussed. We don't have time to discuss them all today because the discussion of marriage is going to take up our time. So that being said, what better example to go to in scripture to help us understand what Paul is talking about when it comes to the idea of submitting to one another within the context of marriage than going all the way back to the very first marriage. Book of Genesis, and let's just recount what takes place within the creation of mankind. So we go back and we see Adam was the first man that was created. And when you read Genesis chapter 2 and then 3, you specifically see how God intended that man was to follow and fulfill two specific purposes that I'll help us illuminate. Number one, it was to dwell with God. When you study the theology of what the Garden of Eden was, it was really this gathering place, this courtroom for the heavenlies, for angelic beings. We don't see all of that recorded, but we know that from ancient biblical studies. So that shows us God created man, not because he needed someone else to dwell with, but because he wanted to give man the opportunity to dwell with him. Once again, what a privilege. Now, within that concept, within that purpose of dwelling, there's glorifying God. There's bringing praise to his name. And God gave Adam the opportunity to glorify God through work, through stewardship. Now God says, okay, you're created to dwell with me. Now you need to cultivate the land. You need to subdue the earth and all of its inhabitants. That doesn't mean, once again, to abuse, to manipulate, but to take care of. God created this incredible creation, and then the last to be created was humankind, and their purpose was steward it well. Then you will be able to dwell with me in all beauty and righteousness. Now, the second part that we see here is that God recognized man was incomplete alone. The purpose was, in fact, to dwell with God, to glorify him, to praise him, and to do so through the act of stewardship, work. But God says, it's not done yet. He saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So therefore, God caused Adam to go into a sleep. He took a part of Adam's rib, and he formed Eve. Now, Eve, this is, this is really important moving forward. Please do not miss this. Eve's purpose was also to dwell with God and to work alongside of Adam. Here's the point. Both have the same goals. It is not one goal independent of another. God said, you are to steward well what I have given you and glorify me through your stewardship of this earth, through your work. But man by himself that's not the full picture. It's incomplete. God didn't make a mistake. He just wasn't finished yet. And so he said, I am going to give you a partner who is going to come alongside of you, equal in value, equal in standing, but has a very specific role. So we got to get into that. Now, what comes next is really important. It's the beginning of marital problems. It's the beginning of the first issues that happen between a couple, and ultimately God. So we're going to read this for you. Genesis chapter 3. Enter Satan into the story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the, wild, of, the, of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, 
has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but not from the true fr fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? She's good. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And then, and then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So my wife, share with us really the situation specifically that Eve finds herself in. And I just want to say, my wife is the most credible source to speak on matters pertaining to the first woman because her name is Eve. Well, it's not Eve. <laughs> um, so what we're really seeing here is that Eve made a big decision independent of her husband. Say that again. Eve made a big decision independent of her husband. Mm. What we're seeing here is a reversal of roles where Adam was there and he was supposed to be leading her. The serpent came to Eve instead because the serpent knows the power that a woman has behind her, right? The, we were created to be helpers, to be uh, advisors to our husbands. And so we hold Influence. a lot yeah, we hold a lot of power. Um, and so, of course, the serpent's going to come to the one who has influence. Um, and what the serpent did was he, he convinced Eve that she can act by herself, that she can elevate herself to a point that is beyond Adam, and it would be okay, and that it would be better for her. And we have to remember, this is, again, this is within the conte context of a marriage where you're supposed to be unified, where you are supposed to be at the same level. Yet the serpent came to her and he said, no, you can do better. You can do so much more than that. Um, and that's something that we even deal with now is that, you know, we're married, but you can be so much more than that. You can be better than your husband or you don't have to allow him to make decisions you know you're independent you're fierce you're all these things it's like you know you are fierce and that's great but you are not independent when you choose to get married you're not you are still your own person yet you are one with your husband you give up certain things and Eve was not willing to do that 
saw a way out of the created order, and she was like, okay, sounds better. Let's do it. Um, and ultimately what we see is that Eve is trying to be the very thing that not even Adam was supposed to be. She's, she's trying to be like God. And um, that was a big detriment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting when you look at this story, the serpent, Satan. What, what is Satan notoriously known for that caused him to fall from heaven? Pride. Wanting to be the guy, be the person. He wanted to be God. So how does he infiltrate the marriage? He goes to the one person who's going to be most tempted to be like God. And listen, man is not God. What, what my wife just said that we need to see is that women are the final piece to the created order. In other words, as she just said, man cannot be independent. So why on earth would we think that woman could be independent? And listen, again, if you're single, this isn't to say that you're hopeless and you need to get married. That's not what's being talked about. It's talking about within the confines of marriage. God is saying you are better when you understand that you need to submit to each other. Let each other work within their strength. Complement each other within your strength. Work with each other. Uplift each other. Build each other up. Don't try to supersede each other. I think we got to move on from this one. All right, so it's my turn. Um, so let's look at Adam. Uh, what's the problem with Adam here? Well, let me just say it for you straight up. When it was time for Adam to step up, he refused to take responsibility. Man, I hope you're listening today. When it was time for him to step up, Adam, what's going on? God didn't even go to Eve first. He said, Adam, I created you first, so I'm going to come to you first. What's going on? Oh, it was the woman. She's the one, this helper that you gave me, trying to blame God in this moment. He's not just blaming Eve, he's blaming God. God, you made a mistake. You, you screwed this up. So if you look at Numbers, you might want to write this down. It's not going to be on the screen. Numbers chapter 30, verses 6 through 14. We have very specifically within the Mosaic law, the instruction wherein a husband was given the ability to protect his wife from carrying out a rash vow. Listen and thus protected her reputation. Within that context, it's not to say that women are dumb and they can't make their own decisions for themselves. It's once again, work together. Can I tell you that I think that this applies within both positions? I go to my wife for everything. everything. I don't make a decision without consulting her about it. Not because I'm going to let her own me and she makes the final decisions. It's because she's going to have insight of a particular aspect of this decision that I'm just not going to see, which is why it makes us better. That's, I'm his helper. That's my, that's my position. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here is to help him out in those things. So there is specific context within the Mosaic law where it is said a husband is given the opportunity and the right and the ability to protect his wife. This isn't about domineering. This is about protection because I don't want her to step somewhere she shouldn't step. All right, so tie this into Adam. Adam, as a husband, failed. Failed in this regard to protect his wife and to take ownership and responsibility. Specifically because he did not protect Eve from the serpent's lie. It's interesting 
I think in Sunday school you always maybe were taught, oh, Adam was somewhere else. He didn't know what was going on. I doubt it. I think he was right there. And he saw it all going down. And he could have stepped up at any point and said, oh, we need to talk about this. Do you remember what God said? All right, he didn't. So let me ask you some questions. Why are there so many single women in the world raising kids alone today? Men don't take responsibility. Why are little boys growing up believing that women are objects for their pleasure and nothing more, pieces of meat? Men haven't taken responsibility. Why, oh, here's a good one. Why are most churchgoers female? I like how our church doesn't really constitute that, but I've been to a lot of churches where more than three-quarters of the church are comprised of women and women alone. That's not picking on women at all. That is specifically saying that men are not being men. What's interesting is a study done within the Assemblies of God, our fellowship, who we're part of as a church, specifically within the men's ministry, that study has shown that families are roughly 80% more likely to attend church as a nucleus, as a whole family, father, mother, kids, grandkids. They're more likely, 80% more likely to attend together when the husband commits to attend. The percentages drastically drop if it's the wife who leads the charge and even more so if it's kids who are trying to get their parents to come to church. Does this mean that men are better than women at getting their kids to come, their families to come to church? No, it doesn't mean that they're better. But it does make us, force us to look at there's something spiritual here. There is a divine positional responsibility that God has placed on every gender, but within this context on men especially. Because God holds men responsible in very particular ways. And it seems to be just based on historical statistics within especially America, but the world, that men just keep dropping the ball. And they're not around when it's time to own up. And it's really easy to pass the buck. Actually, if I can actually speak to that statistic as well, my family did not constantly start going to church until my stepfather who was the house of the house head of the household made us before that it was just whenever we could or my mom would try to but it wasn't until he really stepped up that we really started going to church as a family and we started to grow spiritually so we have adam and eve as this picture of kind of how god created marriage initially and then how they deviated from that created order and misused and misplaced their responsibilities. Now, let's jump to back to Ephesians, specifically the commands that Paul gives. And we're going to jump to 25. We're going out of order. We're going to start with husbands first, uh, and then we're going to come back to wives. So verse 25 says this, husbands, love your wives. You can underline love right there. That's, that's what we're going to talk about. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Let me make this point to you, and then I'm going to talk about it. Husbands ought to love their wives sacrificially. Again, the idea of sacrificially is uh, entailed closely with, once again, submission. It's this idea of I'm putting someone else's needs before my own. So while the word love is there, understand it's also submission. It's submitting your own desires and your own preferences 
for the sake of the woman who you are married to in this moment, placing her above what you prefer to do. So the example that Paul gives about how husbands ought to love their wives is he goes right to Jesus. He uses this as an example, and he talks about Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is illustrative of Jesus setting aside his divinity, coming down to the earth, taking on humanity, living a perfect, sinless life, sacrificing all the preferences and the temptations that he could have so easily given into, kept himself perfect, and then died a perfect, completely unjustified death. All for us. He sacrificed everything for us. It's interesting how when you study just ancient, especially Jewish uh, marriage ceremonies and the givings of the bride, there was something called the bridal bath where uh, leading up to the ceremony, the wedding ceremony, the father of the bride made sure that things were in place so that there was this ceremonial cleansing where his daughter would be purified and, and made well fragrant. Oh man, I can't speak. Fragranced. And she is adorned with beautiful clothing. He does everything so that she would be presented just as Christ here presented and prepared the bride, the church, to be wrinkle-free, to be spotless, to be blameless, and to be holy. Now, I don't make my wife holy. I don't make my wife sinless. God does. Paul is here trying to just emphasize, overemphasize the point, men... I'm going to give you this point. What you want in your wife is only possible through your willingness to put her needs before your own. Jesus wanted a bride that was perfect, spotless, blameless, beautiful, a treasure. He had to do the work in order to make that happen. And only he could do it. I know that as a husband, there's a lot of things that I would love from my wife that I am tempted to impose upon her. And I always need to remember in that moment where I want my preferences to supersede the sacrifice that I need to show in my love for her. Is this very fact that the beauty innately created within her is only fully possible to come out within the context of marriage is when I say she's more important than what I prefer in this moment. And if I really cherish her, if I really love her, if I really want her to be all that God created her to be, then I need to always seek to draw that out by sacrifice. So that, that, that's just the start of it. Then he goes on and he says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. This is verse 28. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also cherished the church, because we are members of one body, his body. Then he quotes Genesis right here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So, I'm going to finish up this, then Evie's going to jump to wives. What we really need to understand contextually within this historical period is that women were considered property. Like, 
understand that. In the ancient Near Eastern world, you had slaves and children were kind of right there with slaves. Then you had women. Then you had different classes of men on every level, but women were just baseline, just a step above slaves. Useful for two things, bearing children and taking care of the family. It's kind of like a stereotypical thing that we still have in America at times. That was the norm, not just in Judaism, but in Greek culture and Roman culture and any Gentile culture. This was a worldwide cultural norm. Women were considered property. Okay, so in most places, listen, women, if they were allowed to live at birth, it's kind of sarcasm. If they were allowed to live, women were minimally educated, could not be witnesses in a court of law, could not adopt children or make a contract, could not own property or inherit it, and were viewed in all respects to be inferior to a man. They were seen as less intelligent, less moral, the source of sin, and a continual temptation. Wow! I hope nobody's a feminist here today. <laughs> and Paul says, so husbands, you ought also to love your wives just as you would love yourself. This is interesting. Listen, this right here is an exhortation by Paul to husbands to love their wives in a unique manner that the world had never seen before. It is found, th th this command that we see here to love your, your wives just as your own bodies isn't even found in the Old Testament. It isn't found in ancient rabbinic Jewish literature. It isn't found in any Roman historical documents of how a good marriage ought to look within Roman households. Therefore, what Paul is commanding here is for men to adopt a radical paradigm shift of how to live within a marriage. Listen, women are no longer to be viewed as property but as treasures this is radical in paul's day so here's the point that i want to make husbands our responsibility is to cherish not abuse now i'm going to say more to this point you know what guys this is going to be hard for you to follow in the back so i'm going to say the point it's all the way at the end but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move it here. Here's another point that I want to say that builds upon that. Biblical marriage should be seen as a revelation rather than a confirmation of rejection. Let me tell you what that means because I know that's a mouthful. These cultural implications of men as Paul's commanding them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to view and to cherish your wives, not as property, but as treasures, is again something that the world has never seen the likes of. Therefore, submission is even more important so as not to give the culture a reason to doubt. I am going outside right now because my wife's going to talk to this, but I just want you to understand in preparation that when we get to submission of wives, how culturally contextual this is. Paul is saying, women, you are not property. You are equally as valuable. So walk in that freedom. Know who God created you to be. But don't use that freedom in such a way to give the world an opportunity to say, their way isn't better than our way. 
Because listen, we do this as Christians. When we're given freedom in Christ, we love to take so much liberty with that freedom. We love to supersede the boundaries of what God said is righteous living because we say, oh, the grace of Jesus Christ sets me free. The grace of Jesus Christ exonerates me of my sin. It's okay if I supersede. It's okay if I live beyond that. In fact, that's who I'm more inclined to be. So maybe that's the way God created to be. No. So Paul isn't saying think of yourself as inferior. Paul isn't saying let yourself be abused. Paul isn't saying that you need to just cook and clean and do the dishes and wash. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the world to see what a Christian marriage ought to look like, not actually be what it ought to be. He's saying, don't give the world an opportunity to say, see, they don't have anything more, more clearly figured out than we do. Their ways are no better than our ways. So why don't we just keep living an open relationship? Why don't we bring back polygamy? Why don't we allow for child marriage? Why do we even need marriage? Why can't we just go and do whatever we want with whoever we want? We've got to set a precedence for the world that shows that this way isn't uh, 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 an exclusive, domineering, sexist, limiting institution, but it's life-giving. It's better. It's filled with blessing. Okay, so I jumped ahead to that. Now we got to backtrack. Evie, why don't we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22? Yeah, I'll read uh, from 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wife ought to be to their husbands in everything. So what is submission? We just talked about it. Submission is... Willful sacrifice, <laughs> right? Willful sacrifice. Willful sacrifice, yes. It's an act of sacrificial love. And we have no greater example than Jesus Christ. Jesus coming down to the world, he sacrificed his divinity in that for us. He did that out of an immeasurable love. Um, we'll continue from Philippians. We, we read a little bit earlier. I'm going to read a little bit more of that because it's so good. Have this in mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who was God, set aside his divinity in order to accomplish his purpose. And he did this out of, an, out of an immeasurable love for his people. And that's exactly what we're called to do. It's the same thing. We set aside the power that we have. We're now considered treasures. And we s yet we set this aside and we place it under the authority of our husbands because we do this out of an immeasurable love for our husband who we chose to be in this unity with. And we do this out of an immeasurable love for our father who said that this is the way that it should be done. And it's in order to accomplish our purpose. Our purpose was to be helpers, was to be partners, was to be uh, the other half, That's right. the completion of creation. 
And so I'll say it this way. Wait, wives, your submission to your husband allows him to fulfill his God-given responsibility. We have this newfound, this newfound power. I mean, it was there from the beginning. We saw Eve had that power. But now it, it, it's even further, you know. We have this power. And unfortunately, we have this temptation to use this power for ourselves. And that, that's part of the fall. It's, it's exactly what we saw in the Genesis is to use the, the influence um, and to, you know, just. Temptation for independence. Yeah, for independence to uh, serve ourselves rather than our marriage. Um, so for an example, we can manipulate a husband's responsibility to cherish us as a means to get whatever we want. It's absolutely a temptation. It can be, <laughs> it's like, you know, just knowing that my husband would do anything for me and then using that so that I can do whatever I want. Um, and then also using this power as a, mean of as a means of independence rather than interdependence. But we were not created to do these things alone. Adam was not created to do it alone. We were not created to set ourselves set ourselves high above them either. We were created to do this together. And that's what you do when you get in, when you choose to be married. You choose a lifestyle that is sacrificial, that is submissive. Just as he submit submissive and in his love for me, I am also submissive to him. So God looked at Adam and he said that it is not good for him to be alone. And it was the same for Eve. He, it was not good for her to do things on her own either. Mm -hmm. um, so what does it ultimately mean to submit to your husband? First of all, it means trusting that your husband loves you, that he does have the best in mind for you, that he does cherish you, and that it's not his goal in life to make your heart ache. <laughs> it's trusting that he has his own relationship with God and that he is in that relationship with God being led by Jesus to to provide, to love, and to cherish in a way that is biblical and that's blessed. Mm -hmm. And it also, to submit to a husband also means to reflect Christ in the, in the same way that he put aside everything for the person that, for the people that he loves, it's the same thing for us. It's setting aside our own wills and our own uh, desires for a husband. And ultimately, it means being a good Christian <laughs> to submit to one another is something that every Christian is, is supposed to do. And that's why there's only three verses on this because we're supposed to be doing this already. It's interesting, like really, really interesting how when we look at the uniqueness of this positional responsibility that a wife or a husband has, it gives a wife or a husband a unique and singular way to express the gospel. There's a way that my wife can show Christ that I never can. And there's a way that I can show Christ that she never can that can only be done when we actually just settle into our responsibilities. 
And again, I, I don't want to keep giving a little precursor, but don't hear all of what we're saying as, so if you're a wife, you can't pay the bills. So if you're the wife, you can't have a job. So if you're a wife, you have, that's not what we're saying at all. Evie and I, we, we, we equally, like without both of our incomes, we, we ain't paying the bills, you know? It's like, and I got no shame in saying that. What, what, what do you call me? I call her my sugar mama, and she's going to be, she's going to school to be an accountant. This is my sugar mama right here. I'm not ashamed, man. Not to abuse it. I cherish it. All right, so let's, let's, let's conclude with some final thoughts. Um, the first point that I'm going to make is this. Your position doesn't determine your value. God does. God does. So what can get convoluted within this whole discussion is this idea that one is greater than the other. Or when I am fulfilling my position or responsibility in a biblical manner, then I'm valued by God. Nope. Your value is placed on you because of what Jesus did and what Jesus did alone. Your positional responsibility is once again an expression of thanks. Yeah. It's saying, God, thank you that I have the ability to be all that you created me to be. So submission, listen, does not lessen your value, but reveals how much value you place on someone else. Yeah. If Christ submitted himself to the point of death on a cross, that is a loud and proud statement that I love you to the Pharisees who were spitting on him as they mocked him on the cross. He could have had every reason to condemn them, to say, how dare you do this to me? And he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. His very action was an act of submission all the way to the point of death. And that very act to an ungrateful, sinful, angry, obstinate people was him saying, care more about you than I care about myself I value you and therefore I'm going to do this for you so submission doesn't lessen your value but reveals how much value you actually place on someone else Jesus paid the price for all without discrimination now Evie give us that second point uh, second point is your responsibility needs to be willful not conditional short of sin short of sin so willful means that you're going to leave here and you're going to have to make a decision. It's up to you whether or not you right. choose to act right. within the will of God. Nobody can force that on you. God certainly can't do that. The church can't do that. Yep. All we can do is present you with the facts. So it's your choice. And as far as conditional, there are times where your spouse is not going to seem worthy of their position. Yep. There are times that I am not worthy of the love that Pastor Justin gives me, and there are times that I don't feel like he's worthy of the authority that he has. Yet, yep. I place it under the authority of Christ, who told yep. me that, or who told us that this is how a marriage is blessed. Yep. And of course, this is short of sin. This doesn't mean this excludes sexual immorality, this excludes abuse, yep. things like that. This is just my husband messed up or yep. my wife messed up, and I don't feel that they're worthy of their position, but I know that Christ has still put them in that position. Yep. He's the one who made us worthy. So again, just for clarity, a husband doesn't deserve submission if he's treating you like trash, and he's abusing you, he's being sexually immoral in you. 
running around with other people. He's, he, he's not worthy of that, and that's a grounds for divorce, but that's something that we got to be very careful when we talk about. Um, and then the same for a wife. You know, you, you just draw your implications there. It is willful. It is not conditional. It's a short exchange. All right, the last point. Here's the bottom line for everything that we talked about today. Failure to fulfill your positional responsibility will inevitably lead to unfulfilled purpose. When you leave here today, if you allow pride into your heart as a husband or a wife and say, this doesn't apply to me, I don't care how great your marriage is and especially how bad your marriage is. If you leave here today and allow pride to rule your heart and not have a conversation, a healthy conversation with your spouse, then failure to fulfill that, failure to allow your spouse to fulfill that God-given responsibility will inevitably lead to unfulfilled purpose. God created us to fulfill a role as a husband and as a wife. There are going to be nuanced differences here, but the bottom line is walking away. What does this mean for us? We all submit, but very particularly, there are times where wives submit in different circumstances. Husbands, there's going to be a lot of temptation for you not to own up and take responsibility. There's going to be a lot of temptation to pass the buck. There's going to be a lot of temptation not to be who God created you to be because it's the easy way out. It's time to have a conversation with your spouse. So, I mean, Evie, what do we do? Yeah, go have a conversation. I mean, even Pastor Justin and I, when we're at our best, we're still having active conversations yeah. with each other about how we can be better. Is there anything I can change? Thank you for or just thanking each other for acting within our roles. So come together, have a healthy conversation. Set pride aside before you get into that conversation, too, because there are certain things that maybe you do need to work on. And that's throughout all relationships, but especially within your marriage, especially when you're supposed to be united and you're supposed to be one. You have to be willing to speak to each other. So have an open and honest conversation about your spouse, um, how you can better fulfill the role that God has given yes. you. If you're not married yet and you're in a serious relationship and you're considering it, have that conversation. Yes. Or if you don't plan on getting married, think about how you can speak into other people's lives. But either way, there has to be an honest conversation about the roles that God has placed before us and how we can fulfill them. Amen. Amen. Church, I hope this was edifying for you. Again, whether you are married or not, this is for you. Can I invite you to stand on your feet this morning? We're going to close in a word of prayer. Ask for God's blessing upon us in this day and in this week. So, Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that its truths are timeless. It always shows us the way. God, I pray that we would be willing to allow this word to cut deep and penetrate even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, would it judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart? Lord, if there be any unclean thing in us, search it out. Bring it right to the surface so that we can see it and allow you to address it. Lord, I pray for married couples today. I pray that when they leave here, they would not allow the lies of the enemy to keep them silent. I pray that they would open their mouths. They would speak the truth in love. They would be proactive and say, hey, things are going great, but let's still have a conversation. Are there things that we can do that better serve each other? 
Lord, I pray that this would not be an opportunity for people to manipulate your text, an opportunity for this text to be used out of context. Jesus, would your word and its truth reign true. Holy Spirit, convict us of your implications. God, I pray now that as we leave this place, you would bless us, you would watch over us, you would keep us. Lord, we are so excited and expectant for all that we have before us that you're going to provide. Help us to glorify you in all that we say and in all that we do until we meet together again. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Hey, God bless you. Enjoy your week. And we'll see you later.